Welcome to the preaching ministry of Port St. Lucie Bible Church. We are a Christian church whose goal is to faithfully preach Christ from Scripture so that we might better love and serve Him. We pray that this message from God's Word would engage your mind with the truth and inspire your heart to obey Christ. Here's today's message. If you would, please turn your Bibles to Daniel chapter 9. What a wonderful blessing we share at each and every Resurrection Sunday or Easter as it's commonly called in the culture. Uh, remembering Jesus demonstrated his power over the grave through his resurrection. He himself becoming, as Romans 8, 29 uh, describes him, a firstborn among what will become many brethren. Many brethren who will rise from the grave as well. And as I invite you to open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 9, we are assured it is through faith by which we become identified with those many. Believing that Christ was physically raised from the dead on a third day, that is one of those essential doctrines that we talk about uh, of the Christian faith. Uh, for the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is in vain. Your faith is worthless and you are still guilty in your sins. Being assured Christ is the Messiah, that he has been raised, we also know that the new covenant has now been formally ratified in his blood. The new covenant was ratified when Christ died on the cross for sins, and, and last Thursday evening, we had an evening uh, memorial, a special Lord's Supper, where we recall Jesus saying this to his disciples, this cup which is poured out for you is the new cup in my blood, the new covenant in my blood, do this in remembrance of me. So the new covenant is ratified in Christ's blood. And this is very important today, very important because had the new covenant not come, we'd still be obliged to keep the old covenant and the Mosaic law. That, folks, is not good. Not good at all. And consequently then, Hebrews 8 verse 6 states that Jesus became the mediator of a new and better covenant, which has been enacted on better promises. For if the first covenant had been faultless, says the writer of Hebrews, uh, there would have been no occasion for a second. And it is, in fact, this new covenant that is now, according to Hebrews 8, verse 13, it has made the old covenant obsolete. The old covenant is obsolete. That is not good news for the Hasidic Orthodox Jew. But the old covenant is now obsolete. When the author of Hebrews wrote his epistle, that was shortly before 70 AD, the temple was still functioning in Jerusalem, and the blood of bulls and goats that can never take away sin was still continuing to be offered in vain. 
And that's why Hebrews predicts that the old covenant, which is obsolete, it's, it's growing old and is ready to disappear. That's an allusion, of course, to uh, the looming destruction of Jerusalem and the temple that was, uh, that was prophesied during Jesus' Olivet Discourse. Uh, that will become the second time that Jerusalem is left desolate. Jesus told Israel, your house will be left to you desolate, and not one stone of the temple will be left upon another. Why? Well, because after Christ, Hebrews 9 and verse 28 says, he offered himself once to bear the sins of the many. Christ offered himself once to, to bear the sins of many. There again we see that reference to the phrase many. Jesus will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. That's we who are Christians, the promise of his second coming. And Jeremiah said, I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. In 70 AD, the temple was leveled because following the perfect, perfect, sinless sacrifice of Christ, God's Son, God doesn't accept animal sacrifices any longer. For it is impossible, says Scripture, for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Boy, what, what a ginormous insult today to, to lift an animal up to our Father in heaven and say, now accept this as my sacrifice. That just doesn't fly. That will not fly at all. Um, Hebrews 9, 14 states that now our redemption is only through the blood of Christ, uh, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God. And for this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant. So today, God redeems a people who are in Scripture identified as the many. And he redeems them only under the new covenant. The old is obsolete. The temple and its sanctuaries, uh, sanctuary is now pointless. It was judged and left desolate in 70 A.D., and this is necessary because the Mosaic Covenant, it had proven itself to be insufficient. It wasn't a faultless covenant. Uh, it was in, insufficient for making Israel righteous. And due to the repeated rebellion of Israel, the prophet Jeremiah, who, who also preached against their wickedness, he prophesied that Jerusalem would be destroyed a first time. A first time. That was in 586 B.C. That was the first desolation of Jerusalem. And Jeremiah said that Israel will be carried away into captivity for a period of seven, uh, 70 years. Yet as we discovered a couple weeks ago, when God pronounces judgment, he also announces he's going to leave open a window of grace and forgiveness. Around the year 600 B.C., Jeremiah came making a bold announcement. 
a bold announcement that God would, in the distant future, ratify a new covenant. This new covenant would be infinitely superior to the old covenant. Uh, We read it together earlier. Jeremiah 31, verse 31 says, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which they broke, referring to the Mosaic, but this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They will not teach again, each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. The writer of Hebrews, New New Testament book of Hebrews, The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 8 quotes Jeremiah's prophecy of a new covenant in its entirety, assuring us this this new covenant is in full effect today for Israel and Judah and for you and for me, all of us entering into faith in Christ. Don't be confused when Jeremiah states they will not teach again. Some people get sidetracked by that. Uh, What Jeremiah specifically says is under the new covenant, they will not teach this particular element. Know the Lord. They, They will not teach know the Lord under this covenant. Why? Because Jeremiah says under this new covenant, they will all know me. This is very different from the Old Covenant made with the entire nation of Israel where the majority of the population under that Old Covenant did not know the Lord. Only ever a remnant of Jews in the Old Testament in Israel actually knew the Lord salvifically. It's always only a remnant as we studied with Elijah in the last week or two. Uh, Therefore, Israel, under the Old Covenant, would have to teach one another, know the Lord. And there always remained a large unbelieving population in Israel under the Old Covenant. That is a problem we hear lamented in Daniel's prayer in Daniel chapter 9. Not so under the New Covenant. Through faith in Christ and by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, all recipients of the new covenant know the Lord. So although we continue to teach doctrine and we continue to grow in understanding, we never have to teach other Christians, know the Lord. You follow me? That's a big difference between the old covenant with Israel and the new covenant through Christ. Therefore, Jeremiah 31 isn't describing conditions that remain unfulfilled for Israel and Judah today. All true believing Israel is included in this new covenant. And 
all true Israel knows the Lord. As I stated, Hebrews 8 verse 8 assures that Jeremiah 31, uh, the new covenant, is in full force now during the church age. It is quoted in its entirety in Hebrews. Um, but at the time of the old covenant, in the, in the time of Daniel, Daniel was still dealing with the undertow of the old covenant. Most of Israel did not know the Lord. Due to disobedience, they were exiled to Babylon, uh, where Jerusalem and the temple lay desolate for a period of 70 years. That was the first time, began in about 586 B.C. Don't confuse that with the destruction in 70 A.D. that Christ prophesied. This is the first destruction of Jerusalem. Daniel himself, he, being a man of the book. Daniel the prophet was a man of the book. He was reading the scroll of Jeremiah. And, and he starts looking at his watch. No, that's not true. He didn't have a watch. He starts looking at the calendar, and he recognized the 70 years of Jerusalem's first desolation, it's about up. Almost 70 years have passed, so he writes in Daniel chapter 9, in verse 2, he says, I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of the years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. You can find that in Jeremiah chapter 25, I believe it's verse 11, that there'd be a 70-year captivity in Babylon. And Daniel's reference to Jeremiah is noteworthy, very noteworthy, uh, because Jeremiah is also the prophet who most clearly announced that God would make a new covenant with the house of Israel. And we are told Daniel was reading Jeremiah. Now Daniel, being a man of the book, didn't read the Bible or the Old Testament scriptures uh, like we do today. Pick out a little snippet, find out if there's a promise for us in it, and pull it out of context and just, you know, decide that we're going to just take that part and leave out all the rest. Good believers are reading through the entire book. And we know that after reading Jeremiah, Daniel next sought the Lord in prayer, and he confessed the sins of the nation. Last Sunday I asked you uh, to read Daniel chapter 9, or today in preparation. Uh, but in case you weren't here, or in case you didn't get the opportunity, what Daniel 9 contains is an elongated confession, a prayer of confession, uh, confessing sin and acknowledgement of how Israel had not remained faithful to the Old Covenant. Daniel sees the problem. This, this isn't working. And in verse 11, we read, Indeed, says Daniel, all Israel has, 
All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, not obeying your voice. So the curse has been poured out on us, along with the oath which is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, for we have sinned against him. He's saying, we're in captivity now because we failed. If you did read Daniel 9, you notice Daniel's prayer it's uncharacteristically long. It's a long prayer. It is a very impassioned prayer. Daniel cries out to the Lord Yahweh, intervene and act. Do something about this. And for the sake of our observation today, the critical section of Daniel's prayer is his petition that begins in verse 15. Daniel 9 and verse 15. Are you ready for this? Well, here we go. And now, O Lord our God, who have brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, as it is this day we have sinned, we have been wicked. O Lord, in accordance with all your righteous acts, let now your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. For because of our sins and the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a reproach to all those around us. So now, our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his supplications. And for your sake, O Lord, let your face shine on your desolate sanctuary. O oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name, for we are not presenting our supplications before you on account of any merits of our own, but on account of your great compassion. Listen to this. O oh Lord, hear. O oh Lord, forgive. O oh Lord, listen and take action. For your own sake, O oh my God, do not delay because your city and your people are called by your name. Wow. Lord, intervene. Do something about this problem we're experiencing. And in verse 20, we find the angel Gabriel appearing like as a man, bringing God's answer to Daniel, uh, to Daniel's prayer. Daniel says, Now while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God, in behalf of the holy mountain of my God, while I was still speaking in prayer, Daniel says, then the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision previously, came to me in my extreme weariness about the time of the evening offering. Speaking of Gabriel, Daniel says, he gave me instruction and talked with me and said, O oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you insight with understanding at the beginning of your supplications, the command was issued, and I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed, Daniel was told. 
for you are highly esteemed. So give heed to the message and gain understanding of the vision. Daniel, he had asked God for an answer. And God replied through the angel Gabriel. Uh, and that reply is prefaced with the declaration that Daniel is highly esteemed. Asking for God, of course, to take action to resolve this problem of sin. God, take action and do something about the sin. And God's remedy for sin is famously outlined in Daniel's prophecy of the 77s. You may have heard it referred to as the 70 weeks of Daniel. Um, that's okay. But in preparation for our message next Sunday, be aware that the literal translation would be 77s. Or, or 70 units of seven. So when I do refer to 70 weeks at a couple points during this message, it's speaking of 70 sevens. And in verse 27, Gabriel responds with this decree. This is the Lord's decree. 70 sevens have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. So the purpose of the 77s, or 70 weeks, is what? It says the 77s is God's provision to finish transgression, and sin, make atonement for iniquity, and bring in or establish everlasting righteousness. So who do you suppose these 77s point to? Jesus. Jesus. If you said that, you'd be absolutely correct. We know Isaiah 53, without question, describes Jesus as the suffering servant who ratifies the new covenant on the cross. Isaiah writes, But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And then we are told by Isaiah, But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief, if, if he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring, he will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, God will see it and be satisfied. That is the propitiation, the satisfaction for sin. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, Isaiah says, will justify the many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he himself bore the sin of many. 
the many. And the writer of Hebrews assured us earlier that Jesus offered himself once to, to bear the sin of many. While rendering the old covenant obsolete, it is Jesus who fulfills Daniel 9 and verse 24. He finishes the transgression. He makes an end to sin. He makes atonement for iniquity. And he establishes everlasting righteousness. Anything difficult here to understand? Not yet. Not at all. Gabriel even provides Daniel a timeline. Daniel gets a timeline. There would be 77s decreed to establish everlasting righteousness. An important notation to make here. Does this appear to suggest there are 69 sevens decreed to bring in everlasting righteousness? And then a leftover 70th week designated to some other completely unrelated thing. No, 77s equates to everlasting righteousness. Keep that tucked away in your pocket until next Sunday as well. The entire 77s equates to perfect righteousness. In verse 25, there Daniel is told that from the issuing of a king's decree to rebuild the temple, that is Cyrus, king of Persia. From the issuing of a king's decree to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem, until Messiah the Prince, that is Christ, there would be seven units of seven, or 49 years, plus 62 more units of seven, or 434 more years. During that time, Jerusalem will be rebuilt completely. Plaza and moat and everything, a complete rebuilding. The first period of seven sevens is the 49 years it took to rebuild the temple. That's a historic fact. The second period of 62 sevens is the 434 years between the time the temple was completed until Messiah came. So there will be a total of 69 units of seven, meaning 483 years will pass from the time of the decree by Cyrus to rebuild the temple until Messiah the Prince comes. That's Jesus' triumphal entry. Messiah the Prince came. Again, just clarify here, that first period, seven sevens, is 49 years after that, the second portion is the 62 years, or, or seven, 62 sevens. So we've got 49 years and 434 years together. Um, verse, 24, uh, verse 26 then describes the end of the second period. Describes the end of the second period, the 62 sevens. 
That means the first period of seven weeks had already passed, plus the second period of 62 weeks is also completed. The whole thing is complete. Therefore, when verse 26 says, after the 62 weeks, it actually means that Messiah's triumphal entry comes at the conclusion of the combined 69 weeks. Tell me you follow me. So I'm going to read verse 26 to you in that way so that it makes more sense, okay? Look at verse 26. Then, after the 69 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. What does that describe? That's the crucifixion, which occurs after the conclusion of the 69th week. After the 69 weeks. The Messiah is cut off. Therefore, the end of the 69 weeks also marks the establishment of the new covenant. That was right around the year 30 AD. Next, look at verse 26. What happens next? What happens after that? It says, And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. And its end will come with a flood. Even to the end, there will be war. Desolations are determined. That describes the second desolation of Jerusalem in 70 AD. Who is the prince that came and destroyed Jerusalem and desolated the sanctuary in perfect harmony with Jesus' prophecy in the Olivet Discourse, that not one stone will be left upon another. The Roman army. They came under the command of General Titus, who besieged Jerusalem in 70 AD. Titus was, at that time, the son of the Roman Emperor Vespasian. So Titus is the prince who destroyed the city and the sanctuary and left Jerusalem desolate. Those Roman armies, they came like a flood. Jesus said in Luke 20, verse 21, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that her desolation is near. Flee. And that prince named Titus would later become Roman emperor after Vespasian died. He was the prince who is to come. Now, verse 27 is key. Verse 27 is key. Remember, 69 weeks are already complete by the time the Messiah is crucified. Verse 26 said, then after the 69 weeks, well, then what happens? Verse 27. And he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. Here's the question at hand. Who is the he who makes a firm covenant with the many for one week? The answer seems pretty obvious, doesn't it? But you might be surprised to learn there is considerable disagreement as to who the he is. Uh, I am told that virtually all responsible and reputable scholars agree that in the original Hebrew, that he can grammatically refer to either the Messiah who makes a firm covenant 
or that he could grammatically refer to the prince who destroys Jerusalem. It can refer to either one in the original Hebrew. Um, to discern the identity of who the he is, we need to first ask, who is it in both Hebrews and Isaiah that makes a new covenant with the people who are described as the many? That would be Jesus Christ. Secondly, who has Daniel been reading? Daniel says he has been reading Jeremiah the prophet through whom God promises boldly that he is going to make a new covenant. The angel Gabriel also describes this covenant as a firm covenant. That Hebrew word firm actually means to make very strong, to make firm, to make secure. The word firm is even translated in other places of the Old Testament as mighty or valiant. Who makes this mighty, strong covenant with the many at the conclusion of the 69 weeks? It's Jesus. It's Jesus who came and made the mighty, strong covenant. Many of you know there, there's an alternate rendering of the story. It claims that the he who makes this firm covenant is an end times antichrist who himself makes a flimsy and feeble covenant, not with the many, but with the nation of Israel, and then quickly breaks it after only three and a half years. Yeah, that's not a strong covenant. Daniel 9 contains a messianic prophecy about Christ who comes to make a strong new covenant with the many. Not a prophecy of an antichrist who breaks a flimsy covenant with Israel after three and a half years. If you remain unconvinced, there's only one other way we can be very confident who it is that Jesus, or Gabriel is describing as coming at the conclusion of the 69 weeks, uh, making a firm covenant with the many for one week, uh, ratifying it through the blood at the cross, there's one way to be for certain, I believe. You will decide whether this is acceptable or palatable or makes any sense at all or if it's just out in outer space somewhere. You have to decide. It's as simple as answering this one question. Who becomes the answer to Daniel's prayer which asks God to intervene and act? What corresponds to Gabriel's announcement that God will make an end to sin, an atonement for iniquities, and bring in everlasting righteousness? Who is the answer to Daniel's prayer? God's answer is Jesus, who ratifies the strong new covenant through his blood. Concerning the Old Testament prophet, prophets, Jesus says, these are the scriptures that speak about me. Can you imagine? And maybe you can. I just need to clarify this, though, for people. Can you imagine 
Daniel praying for righteousness and for God to intervene, do something, Lord, and then for Gabriel to assure Daniel, you're highly esteemed, and then for God's reply to be, uh, here's what I'm going to do in response to your prayer, Daniel. I'm going to send your people an antichrist, and he is going to make a shady covenant that he is going to break almost immediately. That's not the answer to Daniel's prayer. It violates the whole context of everlasting righteousness that Gabriel promises the 77s will produce. A full 70 weeks has been decreed for the purpose of bringing in everlasting righteousness. It is not 69 weeks for making atonement for iniquities and then a 70th week detached and assigned to something completely unrelated. Therefore, the 70th week of Daniel is not a seven-year tribulation after the church has been raptured when an Antichrist wheels and deals making a fake covenant with Israel. The 70th week, or the 70th seven, is the perfect righteousness of Christ prophesied to Daniel and fulfilled through Jesus initiating the new covenant at the cross with the many. That made the old covenant obsolete. And as seen in verse 27, in 70 AD, God used Titus to stop the sacrifices and the grain offerings in the temple because God says, I will not accept them any longer. Perfect forgiveness through Christ and the new covenant is the 70th seven. 70 times seven represents forgiveness with perfection. That is going to be the topic of our message uh, next Sunday, the 70th seven. How does this relate to us here at Easter? The same way it related to Daniel centuries before Christ. Daniel was clearly frustrated and wearied by his own sin and the wickedness of the culture that surrounded him. His prayer of confession revealed Daniel was just sick and tired of living this way. Jesus said, blessed are the hungry and those who thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Daniel cried out, I want all this to be finished. Any solution to this anywhere? And after reading the prophet Jeremiah, God revealed to Daniel, I've made a promise of a new covenant. And even Daniel's hope was in a Messiah to come who would be cut off at the cross. And this Messiah would bring in everlasting righteousness. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the old covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And Hebrews 8 assured that promise is ratified through the blood of Jesus on the cross. There he made an end to sin, 
atonement for iniquity, and he brought in everlasting righteousness. And on the third day, Jesus rose again. Thus declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sins. I will remember no more. Jesus is the answer to Daniel's prayer. And if you too are also sick and tired of sin and long for righteousness, Jesus is the answer to your prayer as well. And there lies an empty grave proving that Jesus was raised and he was seen by the women seen by the apostles, seen by hundreds of people at one time. There are several hundred eyewitnesses who saw Christ raised. Are you ready to be raised? Are you ready for new life and to be raised from the old? Perfect forgiveness is offered to you through Christ. Through the Apostle John, Scripture promises, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous and he himself is the propitiation or the satisfaction for our sins and not for ours alone, but also for the whole world. Are you ready today to finally have a new life in Christ that is offered to you?